Hi everyone. Hi. Um, please, can we all take a seat? We're going to be starting. Sorry about the delay, but we will be making up time, so don't stress about that. Lunch will be there. Um, so I hope you've all enjoyed the refreshments provided and you're feeling refreshed and invigorated for the next session. David Hatherall will be taking us through using technology and machine learning to meet customer needs. Many institutions around the world, including banks, have been investing heavily in machine learning and various related forms of technology. We cannot deny the changes spreading through the industry, and David will be taking us through this topic, topic in depth. Before I bring David up to the stage, I'd like to just give you a brief bio. David studied at Stellenbosch University, where he gained his BCom Honours in Actuarial Science and has completed the Advanced Management course at RCMIF in the UK. He went on to become a member of the ABSA Youth Board, where he researched and advised on banking products affecting South African youth and served as a chairperson in various committees for the Make a Difference Foundation. He then worked as an actual analyst at FMB, where he became head of capital and provisions in 2016. Following this, David worked as a consultant at Principa and is currently an actuary at Genry. Please may I welcome David to the stage. Good morning, everyone. So the title I've used is Consumer Junction and it's a theme I'll introduce a little bit later in the presentation. It essentially relates to our roles of actuaries and how we can use those roles across different industries to meet consumer needs. So I used to find myself using words like them or the consumer when I referred to our target audience. I never acknowledged that I was part of this target market and that approaching my problems from a personal perspective may add value to the work that I do. So I've played across a few industries. I've been in banking, credit risk consulting, and now I find myself in the reinsurance sector. And to understand where our skills overlap, I'll need to put myself in the shoes of our consumers and our clients. What you'll notice throughout this presentation is a somewhat schizophrenic use of the word we. Um, and that's perhaps because I'm almost playing across three very, very different industries um, when you take an outsider perspective, but I feel equally part of each industry. Um, so I feel like I'm still a consultant, I'm still a banker, and now I'm in the life and healthcare sector. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to present. Do any of you have any questions? Really? Is there anything you'd like me to cover within the presentation? Something that interests you? Okay, so this is a bit awkward for me. Um, it's something that's quite different because normally I'd prepare a rehearse sequence of slides. I'll get behind a podium and I'll deliver a message. The message would be a safe message and I'd conclude with a beautiful quote and then we could all celebrate and go on our merry ways. But I haven't done that, so now I'm here. I do have a rehearsed sequence of slides. That's it. And the reason I'm doing this is because I'd like to challenge the room and ask if we are not doing this with our consumers. Are we not deciding what our consumers want for them without including them in our conversations? Are we telling them that they can only take a certain type of product 
because we can only price for a certain type of product. So we think about it practically and look at this room. And this is where I can look at people that I know and ask, do we perhaps have any your hands in the audience or marks in the audience? What if I told you that your name was now Susan? Do we have any Susans or Janes? Everyone, these are the new Johans. We have products and we can price for Johans or Susans. So let's do this and offer them what we have. So in challenging myself with these different perspectives, I've realized that I have one perspective of the world. Um, and that perspective is a unique perspective and the world isn't only about me. So I'm a child of five and I needed to learn that the world isn't only about me because I'm the youngest as well. So in this, I'd like to challenge us to approach our problems using a service-oriented mindset and to think about our clients and our consumers and think about how we can serve them and how we can meet their needs. So we think about our consumers and clients my view is that our jobs wouldn't exist without them. So we need to find ways to partner with them and reach a common goal and a common grounding. My perspective of the world essentially is that the world is fast and it's getting faster. We have a small amount of time to earn trust and if we don't do this, we may find that we become irrelevant. Our consumers exist and they're almost on a platform where they've gotten there somehow. Their journey to the platform is unknown, but to get off, we need to meet their needs. And I'm relating it to transport because it relates somewhat to my journey across the different industries as well. It is a journey and we're always going to go on some path or the other. So our consumers essentially to get off the platform can take a rocket, a car, a train or a plane. There's a bunch of choices. The difference now with their choices is that they can get on one mode of transport and they can change their, their decision at will. So naturally, as um, an actuarial analyst or someone in the insurance or credit industry, I feel this urge and this rush to get to that market and find ways to reach our consumers first. But perhaps we need to pause and think if that's the right approach. So by reaching them first, we can find ways to lock our consumers in. In the previous example, we could lock them in every single mode of transport. In the real world, we can make policies complex. We can make the relationship quite dependent. But that might not be what our consumers want. And this links to some of the previous presentations where we've spoken about the use of technology to meet our needs. But perhaps we need to think about the needs of those who aren't us. Perhaps we need to pause and start thinking about how we can include consumers in our conversations and how we can find out what their challenges are and what role we have to play in partnering with them so that we can solve their challenges. So I've mentioned the word challenge and in a normal presentation this would be a great chance for me to jump in and talk about my challenges. I can speak about how I've jumped to different industries, lost some of the coding languages that I had developed, um, and essentially how I solved my problems, how I changed the world, and how I became a hero or a martyr. 
but the world's not about me. And that's why I'm going to approach this from a slightly different angle, and I'm going to look at a few perspectives. So the perspectives I'm going to be looking at um, I find quite co topical in my career. One of them is it's very important to find ways to become creative in our roles. Collaboration enhances the work we do. And then the third perspective relates to white space, which I'll introduce a bit later. So if we think about the word creativity, we typically operate on the left-hand side of the screen, where we can build beautiful models, we can make sure they work. If they don't work, we can make sure that they pass the validation tests and the validation frameworks that have been set for us. Um, and we can go our merry ways. But perhaps we need to approach this differently as well. Perhaps we need to look at what models we've built, realize that they form a purpose, but the purpose might be bigger than just that model. So I'm going to go back to the credit value chain. Um, so it's essentially in one of the starting points in my career. And a summarized version of how I would understand it is you have a bunch of policies, loans or accounts. Um, so I'm mentioning policies because this is also relevant to the life insurance and healthcare sector. You can monitor those policies over a certain period. So I've chosen a comfortable period of 12 months. Our world was rocked when that 12 months changed um, with IFRS 9. And at the end of the period, we can see an outcome. So essentially, you could have a bunch of goods or a bunch of bads. So your goods would be people who stayed on your book, made their payments in a credit cycle, um, and your bads would be people who missed payments or in the life insurance sector, people who have claimed. One area we focus on is the bads and we try to find ways to make them good. And where we can't make them good, we leave them there and report them appropriately. And we can build models around this whole cycle and essentially relate it to different areas within our organizations. So if I were to go through the areas quickly, you can have onboarding or originations processes, portfolio management and collections. What's quite nice is with each of these sections, you get a unique focus on a certain area of your book and with that focus you can develop strategies and implement strategies and see if they develop into something better. However, I would like to think about it slightly differently. Perhaps we should go to something we've learned and think about a cycle and have the same images, so have the same three people, two people, one people, but change our focus slightly. So we have our portfolio. We can look at ways of improving good behavior. And this is done quite extensively. So in the consulting world, you can run machine learning algorithms, optimization techniques, and essentially decide what factors can I change with the information that I know to get an outcome that I desire. What's quite interesting now is you've essentially got a biased sample of your data that's a result of your strategy, and now you're trying to change that strategy and see how your data will look with that change. So it gets quite technical, but if you know the right words to Google, if you know the right people to chat to, you can do this. Similarly, we want to reduce bad behavior. And in experiencing the bad behavior, we will apply the lessons that we learn. So by looking at a cycle, 
we've essentially converted three areas which do collaborate into a cycle, so one image that an individual can look at, one solution that someone can tailor and see if I change something here, what will the impact be down the line over here? And if the impact isn't what I want it to be, how do I feed that back? The nice thing is, is it's one cycle. So you essentially have two, three, four, five, six models across the cycle, but you can find ways to link them and make sure that it's one cycle that drives your strategy. Um, and a lot of positives, there are a lot of positives with consistency, um, especially when you're jumping between different kinds of models and trying to join all of them together. From a co consulting perspective, this is great because we can say to our clients, come chat to us, we can help you develop your strategy, we can find a way to use your models, and we can get you the results you want. This has a great benefit because we can earn a living and we can charge you for doing this. However, we can earn a living and charge you for doing this. So one of the mindset changes I had in the consulting industry was to change the way we think about building our modeling solutions. And you can approach it from two angles. The first one I'll, I'll explain from the consulting environment where you build a model with an individual in an organization and you build it as a team so that when you leave, the organization isn't left stranded without you. The second aspect is to collaborate and develop a risk partnership. So this is when I go into the reinsurance world and essentially what you're doing there is you're partnering with the client because you're sharing risk. So you almost do your analytics as a value-added service which our clients don't need to pay for. Part of the value-added service is to come up with ideas and ideas that have been implemented. So if I set the scene and we think about data, uh, we spoke about it a bit earlier, but there's a range of sources we can use, there's a range of platforms that we can get data from. So it could be surveys, Twitter, Google, or our internal databases. With this data, we can pull it in with various programs and we can build models around that data and develop other insights that we need. The mind shift for me here was the fact that we don't work within one coding solution or one coding environment. Sometimes we need to cater towards different needs and adapt our coding styles to meet our clients' needs so that they can eventually use the language that they desire. So the work goes away from the modeling into building an interactive modeling solution. So what we've done in the consulting space um, and in the reinsurance space is we've taken the five, six, or seven models that have been developed across that cycle, and we found the links between the models, and we've housed those links into an interactive solution. So I'm mentioning two here. One would be Microsoft Excel, which is nice because a lot of people use. You can use VBA scripts to make buttons. I think buttons were the best thing in my world when I saw them because you can click them and stuff gets done. You can choose not to hide what's being done so it really looks like you're keeping busy when you're using your solution. Um, and you can essentially take that solution and give it to a non-technical audience so that they can create scenarios around the cycle that you've developed and they can see the outcome of each scenario. And based on the insights that they've developed from that outcome, they can challenge your processes and they can challenge the work that you're doing 
even if they can't do it from a technical standpoint of view. Another aspect um, I put here is Power BI. Um, and there's a lot of similarities or similar programs to Power BI that you can use. And what's quite nice with that, similarly to Excel, is you can link directly to your databases. You can have a live version of all your graphs, all your documentation, so that essentially all that copy-paste work that you would be doing, you don't need to do anymore. You've linked your models and your interactive modeling solutions using technology, so that's great as well, because the insights you get, you can use to update your models. And when you update your models, your modeling solutions cater for it properly. In that link, we essentially develop engagements. So this is an angle I would like to approach from three standpoints of view. The one point is you enhance collaboration. You facilitate teamwork and you build a trust, um, a form of trust between people within your organization because now you have technical and non-technical individuals working together. Also, a client consulting relationship can be enhanced as well. Um, so I'm sure some of you would know everything that could go wrong is likely to go wrong the day before you deploy your models. If you deploy your models as a team, you can experience those challenges together and essentially form that bonding, develop that trust, and then trust in each other's competence to handle issues when they come again as your models have been implemented. The second element which I've touched on is you can save time. So we've done it with a few forms of our documentation in our markdown, for example, where you can document your whole model calibration methodology and you can link it to all of your graphs and all of the values that you use, for example, Genie, can be live based on the model iteration that you run. That liveness saves a lot of time. I, I'm thinking about the time I spent checking paragraphs, making sure they were fine. When they weren't fine, I would have to recopy and paste graphs. I need to make sure they look beautiful and bright and blue. If you do that now with that link, you essentially only need to do it once, maybe twice if you do it badly first. And in that, you create a new perspective. So the new perspective is created in the sense that you've shifted your areas of focus. So you've built models, converted them to modeling solutions. But now, because you're working with a bunch more people, because you're saving time, you've got a bunch of new things to look at, a bunch of new challenges to endure, and a bunch of new perspectives that you can gain and use to lift the work that you're doing. So we think about it for a bit and have a few points to ponder. The concluding points for the creativity um, perspective that I'd like to secure are by being creative in the work that we do, we can allow for more creative people to give their insights and enhance your solutions even further. We work a bit on collaboration as well, which feeds in quite nicely to the next section. And also, we're empowering people. So we're entering into a world where we're giving people the chance to develop an insight that they want so that they can challenge you. And we don't always need to be afraid of that challenge anymore because those challenges are coming and it depends on how we handle those challenges. That handling of the challenges will be the differentiator, in my opinion, between good work and great work. 
Okay, so if I go into collaboration, I'm going to touch on core centers because I think this is an area that has affected a lot of us. We have individuals phoning us and some are prepared, some aren't. We have some good experiences and we have some bad experiences. It's because of the bad experiences that we might cut core centers altogether and move on with our lives. And then there's apps and stuff developed around that. But if we were to entertain the notion and say, okay, core centers were there and they're there to stay, I would think about the core center world or the need for a core center would be to have a supercomputer. So essentially they have cores coming in and cores going out. In those cores, they have a lot of information that the agents need to digest to understand who their customers are and they need to understand who their customers are so they can cater towards their customer needs. If they don't, you're left with an awkward situation or an awkward conversation like we had at the beginning of the presentation where I asked if you had questions, you never knew the topic, you never knew what I was introducing, and then we start pausing and trying to grasp for breath here and there. This is a bit intimidating for me because for some reason if I code in a black box or a black screen, I think black box, I'm going to type something, it's going to crash all of my hard drives, I've seen movies with ones and zeros and viruses, so it's a challenge and I'll get intimidated and take a step back. But in embracing that challenge and making me a bit more comfortable with coding and technology, I've thought about a supercomputer that we've experienced and we've been working with for a long period of time. And that supercomputer is essentially our human brains. So all we need to do now is take something that we know, something that's blue, I, I like blue so I'm comfortable with that, and find ways to optimize this performance so that when you put it into a certain situation, it can adapt and it can have the conversations that you need it to have. So in that, if we go back to the core center example, we can think of information processing. So typically, if you have a database and a bunch of information that the core center agent needs to know, it can come up in a box and that agent can read it. That box is often a free text field, so they could be SMS language, spelling errors, information not in the same order, but the core center agent still needs to read it to understand who their client is. What we've done to make this ingestion process a little bit easier in the consulting sector is we used a little bit of text analytics to convert the images, or to convert the, the words to images. Now essentially what we know is our brains can pick up pictures a lot easier than words. And we can also program our brain to look at certain areas of the screen when we need certain information. So if you convert the text to the images, you can essentially tell this agent that we're dealing with a high net worth individual who has 10 products with us, two credit cards, likes being called between 11 and 12 a.m. They've called us twice before, it's a male, almost in arrears, and they want to apply for a loan. This image bit is a lot easier for me because it's also colorful, which is nice. Okay, so if we challenge the notion of call center agents like I did a bit earlier, perhaps we need to ask if there's alternatives altogether. And should the call center industry be dead altogether, how do we engage? 
So this is quite nice because our skills overlay now and in collaboration you can think of how we can create one part of a problem, collaborate with an individual and then solve a need that's out there. So one of the needs that we worked on in the consulting industry was the real-time ability to take up a loan. So what we did is we built a credit risk scorecard. We made sure it would, would be correct and valid over time. And then we went to our technology partners and we found a way to overlay that scorecard onto a point-of-sale device or a card machine. What's quite nice here is you don't always need to go into the bank or online or phone an agent to take out a loan. You can go to your nearest store. If that device has a functionality, you can take out the loan there and there and the um, customer will be scored so you essentially know if it will be accepted or declined immediately. In our Asian markets, um, I mentioned this example because it's always nice to get something for free. Um, so Alipay has started giving free critical illness cover and that's quite nice. Um, essentially, if you use Alipay to pay for something, you can get critical illness cover for a certain limit and you covered for that year. It creates an engagement between technology, a customer, and an organization, but also in order to do this, if life insurance or healthcare isn't your speciality, you might need to partner with some life insurers or reinsurers so that you can understand that risk and cater for that risk appropriately. Another element is, and it builds on trust, so in our Asian markets, you can recommend a certain product and an individual can take up that product. So this is a permanent health care insurance or permanent health insurance example where you send a link, the person can click on the link and take out the product. It's instantaneous. And the reason I mentioned trust is because it's two angles. You're trusting the person who's sending you the link, but you're also trusting technology. Everything's on an app and you're trusting that it's going to work and you're not going to be taken advantage of. This scenario might need to be catered towards different um, environments. So for example, in South Africa, giving financial advice may be seen slightly differently to the way it's done in our Asian markets. It's just something to think about. So something we've done um, with our January Now app is we've used facial analytics to take an image and from that image we can gauge an estimate of the individual's age smoker status and body mass index. So this is quite useful because you can almost remove some of the underwriting capabilities that, or the underwriting procedures that our clients would need to go through. So you're saving a bit of frustration in that regard. What's also nice for me is it's quite cool. Um, I might download this app and use it without even needing a product because I would want to see if it's accurate and if it's not. And if it's not, then I can post something and say, haha, look, January got it wrong sort of thing. Um, yeah. Cool, so if we think about collaboration and we wrap up that topic, a few key takeouts for me was think about serving others. So using a service-oriented mindset automatically changes some of the perspectives we have and may change some of the ways and manners that we work in. Be different and be fun as well. So 
there's a lot of methods and a lot of technologies that you can use and if you find ways to link them and collaborate and partner with different organizations and individuals you can find a way to meet a need but you can also find a way to make that process fun um, and in making it fun you enhance the collaboration and developing further so the third perspective that I'll be covering is white space and this essentially relates to focusing on what's not there. So from a modeling perspective, it would be focusing on the data that you're not given. And from a insurance or banking perspective, it would be about focusing on the unbanked and the uninsured. Are there target markets that we're missing? And if we are missing them and only including a privileged population per se, what can we do to create a more inclusive culture and cater towards many more individuals within our country and our continent. So if I go into the modeling environment, I would essentially say my role when I built predictive models was to look at the data sources that I was given, find ways to combine those data sources into one and develop a model. I'd make sure the model's beautiful, it fits right, it's stable, it has a high genie and all my graphs are blue but that would be about it. And you can get a very good model that meets the needs, so you can implement that model and you can be comfortable. And the challenge is there's a lot of information that's not there. And one of the good things about EFRS 9 is it brought the macroeconomic modeling and scenario forecasting element into our business units where we had to look at different economic scenarios and see whether these scenarios will affect our book and how they will affect our book from an expected loss perspective. So that's one area where I had data without macroeconomic variables, I got macroeconomic variables and updated my predictions as a result. A broader example is looking at what's not there and what might be fairly difficult to get. Um, so I linked to Google News and I linked to Twitter. And essentially by looking at these platforms, you can connect to them via various programs. So I'm using R here because I've done it in R, but I know Python has capabilities and you have many software languages that have capabilities to do this. What you can do is you can go to Twitter and you can say, I'm interested about running. So let's think about a broader example. On Twitter, I can search hashtag runner on Google News, I can search, David is my hero, he's a runner. I can get that information. Because it's an R script, I can schedule it to run every morning, and I can create a database with that information. With that database, I can start analyzing it using text analytics and consumer sentiment techniques. What's quite nice in that analytics is a lot of the methodologies to do that have already been developed. So you can just change the data input and get the output that you're interested in. So I can find out if running is still good. So I can look at the sentiment and see happy, sad, or angry first. So are people angry, happy, or sad about running? I can also use this technique to create a few early warning indicators for myself. So in the running example, an early warning indicator could be something as a spike in running tweets in the Western Cape. If that happens, perhaps I'm missing an event, and I need to look at what those tweets are, just to make sure I've kept up with the trends. 
If you think about it from a life insurance perspective, there's been a bunch of discussions around consumer happiness and if that might influence our claims. So essentially you can do the same thing. You can link to Twitter, link to Google News, and gauge from the database that you get, you can gauge how happy our populations are in certain areas, and you can create a form of a consumer happiness index. You can overlay that index onto your models and see if it has an impact in your claims experience or in your lapse experience, so on and so forth. In the banking world, we use this for the retrenchment space. So we essentially went and looked at the employers we were concerned about, created a list of top 100 employers, sent it through Twitter as hashtags with the word retrenchment and the employer's name, sent it through Google News, developed that database, and all of a sudden you've got a somewhat live early warning indicator model. You can connect this to a monitoring dashboard and all you need to do is look at that dashboard, which is a nice picture, every day and see, are we exposed to risk? Are we not exposed to risk? What's happening in our market? And how do we deal with what's happening in our market? So that's just a creative way of thinking about data that's not there and looking at how it might add value to the work we do. And we can get quite caught up in some of the techniques, so it's quite nice that they mentioned um, that in the presentation earlier, is sometimes we get caught up on a very cool technique or a technological innovation that we're so caught up we don't think of our target market and we end up not meeting that need. So the example I'd like to mention is something that I found quite interesting, um, and that's the ability to convert information from an image to text to sound. So essentially you have an image, on the right, you have text on the left, and you have sound bars at the bottom. These techniques are quite nice because we can see if it works almost instantaneously. We can see what people have done, and we can use similar methodologies to build our own mapping interfaces. We can even translate using similar methodologies one language to another. But this lends me to question the word inclusivity or inclusion. Um, and the reason I am mentioning inclusion here is two examples that I'll, I'll cover. So, so the one example is with image analytics has gone wrong. So there has been machine learning algorithms which would look at topical trends and printed t-shirts. Those t-shirts were automated, you never had someone reviewing it, and then you would get a bunch of maybe 500 shirts all with injections or pictures of drugs on them because a trend could have been drugs in that country. Um, a example closer to home would be an app that's developed in Europe which says if someone's attractive or not. Um, and that app was developed on a certain demographic um, and that demographic may contain Caucasian individuals only. If you take that and you apply it to a different setting, it might say one demographic profile is more attractive than the other. So by not knowing who's been excluded from your model build data set, you might be creating problems in themselves. Another aspect which I'd like to touch on is it relates to a topic that one of my colleagues spoke about um, at the actual colloquium earlier this year. And the title of the topic is called Actuary at the Crawl. So Zandile spoke at the colloquium and her key messages were around the funeral insurance sector and 
questioning if we're actually meeting our consumers' needs and seeing how we can look at those needs and create a new range of products for our target markets that are relevant for the funeral insurance space, for example. A key take-on for me was that in our insurance sector, we have people taking out products in many different languages, but the insurance terminology has only been developed in some of our African languages. So you have individuals in South Africa taking out a product where they might not understand what that product means just because their home language that they use, which is one of our official languages, hasn't been developed to include insurance terminology. And I'd say this challenge would also be relevant in the banking sector, and that comes back to this diagram over here and a question about inclusion. So normally I would get quite focused on these techniques, um, but by being focused on the cool and the modern trends in day-to-day -day societies, are we not missing certain audiences and certain target markets? If this verbal dialect and if this text dialect doesn't exist for certain languages within our country, are we excluding those languages and those populations just because we can develop a product on languages that already exist? So on this point, I'm not saying we should all go into our language centers and start becoming language experts and developing languages. But I am saying perhaps we have a responsibility to flag the issues when we raise it and to go to the appropriate centers and show them what benefits we can come to the market with if a certain language is developed. So on this, my point to ponder is it's very important to keep our audiences in mind. Even if we don't know who our audiences are, perhaps we need to pause and think about that. And endless po possibilities exist. So in my career and in jumping between the different industries, I found that our skills are quite relevant across many playing fields. But it is intimidating and you will find that sometimes you need to sit and learn how to learn. And Google may become your best friend in that regard. So I'd like to conclude with a sentence. Um, and that sentence essentially is, the world isn't only about us but we do have a role to play in it and a responsibility to act appropriately. Any questions? Or comments? Hi, um, thanks for the talk. My, my, my question is, I think you, you, you mentioned that um, you have to include other teams or something when you're developing your models and stuff like that, isn't it? Um, the problem that we often find is the interpretation of the results. How do you make sure that people, they come up with the same thinking that you had when you, when you deployed the model? Yeah. Um, so I, I also had a challenge with that um, initially. And I think Two, two elements that were important to me is one is a different interpretation might actually be good because it's good to have that challenge and to have that conversation even if the interpretation is incorrect. The second one is developing the solution in such a way that it contains the necessary graphics to help the individual understand the scenarios that they're running. Um, and in getting those graphics, you're upskilling different people within your organization and if those graphics aren't 
getting the point across, then we would have training workshops around how you can create the scenarios and how you can interpret them. And once those workshops are held, then the richness of your conversations um, could be enhanced going forward. Are we good? Comments? Thanks. Hi, everyone. Um, I'd just like to say thank you, David, so much for speaking to us today. I think since the theme is change and disruption, the beginning of your presentation, I think, disrupted us all a bit after <laughs> tea break. And I think you gave us a lot to think about in terms of responsibility, to think about our role to play in this change and disruption. So thank you so much.